we have a din in the Talmud that a mumer, a Jew who is uh, not religious, is sometimes treated like a non-Jew. Exactly when does this apply? For example, a Jew who is uh, a mummer uh, doesn't count as part of the minion. So what exactly is the definition of a mummer? So one example is one who is in violation of the majority of the mitzvahs that he has heard of. Let's say a Jew only heard of three mitzvahs that you have to go to the, uh, you have to say Kaddish and you have to go for your side and, uh, and you have to go on the Israeli parade. Okay, all he knows, the whole Yiddishkeit only consists of three mitzvahs. So he keeps two out of the three, so he's, in, he's observing the majority of the mitzvahs that he's aware of. If he's in violation of the rov of the mitzvahs that he never heard of Shabbos, never heard of Kashrus, so that doesn't count. However many mitzvahs he's heard of, if he's in violation of the majority of those mitzvahs, so then the Dino Kinochrin, you cannot count him as part of the minion. <coughs> Uh, classically, it was considered that one is married to a man who is a Jewish man who is married to a non-Jewish woman. Even if he keeps all the mitzvahs, is considered a mummer who is dina kenochri. Uh, why should that be so? For example, in Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah quotes in the name of the Ramban and Sanhedrin that if you have a Jewish woman who is married to a non-Jewish man, uh, and the children will be Jewish because the wife is Jewish, so that's an aver. That's like a chilul Shabbos. So that you wouldn't say yaharig by yaber. If her life is in danger, and the only way to save a life is by living with this uh, Esther is going to live with the non-Jewish man Achashverish so that's not considered Gileyarais but if you have a Jewish man living with a non-Jewish woman and all of the children that will have will be considered Goyim so then the Pasuk in Novi uses the expression Kibual Basel Nechor it's considered as if he became a Mechutin with the, with the Abedah Zorah as if he married the daughter of the Abedah Zorah and that's considered uh, like a Mumadina Kenoch that's, that's Yoharik Balyavar that, that Aver itself of a Jewish man living with a non-Jewish woman is considered the Yoharik Bal Yavr. There was a minik for many uh, centuries that if a Jewish man marries a non-Jewish woman, even if he keeps some of the mitzvahs, the family would sit shiva. In the opposite direction, if a Jewish woman would marry a non-Jewish man, that's considered an Avera. That's a terrible Avera. That's like a Jew becomes a Mechal Shabbos. But you don't sit shiva just because he decided to be Mechal Shabbos or or to stop uh, keeping kosher. But if you have a Jewish man married to a non-Jewish woman, that's considered like Shmat. So if you have, uh, let's say, a Jewish man living with a non-Jewish woman that would be considered mumer so you couldn't be mitzvah such a person uh, to a minion but um, if a person let's say doesn't keep kosher doesn't keep uh, some other mitzvah in the Torah you don't declare that it's dinah kenachri the Talmud has two exceptions to the rule where through violation of one avera uh, the person is already considered a mumer the one is if he worships Sabbath is that's one exception to the rule okay we usually don't deal with cases like that that's not going to be a problem a Jew worships is not going to come to shul not going to be a shayla of, uh, of giving him an aliyah or something and then the other exception to the rule is a moment of Shabbos Befahesia is also a dinah kinachri so the uh, post can point out that moment of Shabbos Befahesia means number one that he's violating Shabbos B'mezid if he violates Shabbos B'shegig that's not called Befahesia he has to violate Shabbos B'mezid knowing that it's Shabbos and it's against the Jewish religion and also Befahesia means in a flippant fashion demonstrating that he has no respect for the whole religion the Gemara says in Masech Zerevin that if a Jew is Mechal Shabbos even in presence of everybody but when the chief rabbi walks by he has respect and, he, and he's embarrassed to be Mechal Shabbos in his presence so that's not called Mechal Shabbos Befersius Mechal Shabbos Befersius means he's breaking the discipline of the community he, the, the whole community is observing the, whole commun- the overwhelming 
majority of the community are Shemesh Shabbos, and this fellow is Mamash Hashegetz, he's Mechal Shabbos, and he doesn't care about anything. So that's what, unfortunately, the Poskim have been writing since the beginning of the Reform Movement in, uh, in Germany. So the first the German Poskim wrote it, and then from other communities they wrote it. That, that thing really doesn't apply anymore, Bismanazer. What do you mean? If the majority of the world Jewry is not Sabbath observance, how can you say that this fellow, Mechal Shabbos, professor, he's breaking the discipline? We're breaking the discipline. <laughs> we stand out like a sore thumb. That we're Shemri Shabbos. You can't say that he's breaking the discipline if the overwhelming majority of the Jews are not Shemri Shabbos. We still have to be careful with such a person, uh, although... Um, okay, we'll get, we'll get to some more details later. I remember uh, years ago a fellow came to me from uh, Englewood. There was a Jewish man he had learned in the Yeshiva Ketana, I think he told me in Berlin. And then he floated away from Yiddishkeit and now he's married to a non-Jewish woman. They didn't decide, uh, they're not going to have any children, this is already a miser from 20 years I think. They're not going to have any children until they decide uh, how they're going to straighten out this situation. I think they still didn't straighten out the situation. So I remember when we were sitting and talking to the chief about their uh, case. So the uh, husband had to walk out for a minute and the wife tells me, the non-Jewish wife tells me her husband is strictly orthodox. So I said, he can't be strictly orthodox if he's married to a non-Jewish woman. She thought, no, he's strictly orthodox. He always tells her to go out of the house on Shabbos that she shouldn't turn on the television. He wants to be orthodox at home. <laughs> so I remember once I was speaking for NCSY, years ago I was speaking for NCSY in New Jersey. Uh, I was giving a pre-Hanukkah year. So I was saying over the din that uh, if the husband works uh, in New York and he's in the office late and the wife is home, when it's time to bench lift, so the wife can bench lift and be might see the husband. Uh, the wife shouldn't wait till the husband comes home, let her bench lift. So I noticed this woman was in the audience. The husband was sitting on this side, Mechitza, the wife was sitting on the other side. So I added, I added a comment. Of course, this only applies if the wife is Jewish. If the wife is not Jewish, she can't like the menorah. So everybody thought it was a joke. I was kibitzing. I wasn't kibitzing. I saw these people were listening. They're going to think the non-Jewish wife can light the Hanukkah list for the husband. Years ago, years ago, if a Jewish man would marry a non-Jewish woman, that was taken as shmad. I don't know, t- and you can't be mitzar if the fellow to a minion. I don't know if that din still applies, Bizman Azeh. The Pasuk in, uh, that they quote from Novi, that says, Kibol Basel Nechor, that is such a serious Avera, that's because it was perceived as such a serious Avera. Everyone knew that you marry a non-Jewish woman, your children are going to be non-Jewish, and that's the end of the line. And they understood that this is an act of uh, rebellion, that they're leaving the whole religion. It's hard to say, Bizman Azeh, if so many Jews are intermarried, it's hard to say that a Jewish man who lives with a non-Jewish woman, or a Jewish man who is married to a non-Jewish woman, is Considered a mumer lechalat arkula. I I would uh, greatly doubt it. The question is to give such a person kibudim in the shul is also a problem. How can you give him a kibudim in the shul? What message are you conveying to the to the younger children? They're going to see we're giving this guy kibudim. So, so it's not so terrible to be intermarried. So that's a serious question. But to consider, uh, let's say, to sit shiva today over a person who's going to marry a non-Jewish woman. I don't know if that meaning still applies today. I don't know if you can really say that he's uh, that he's dina kakom is manazeh. It's hard to judge. There was a big dispute in Europe a hundred years ago um, regarding being mitzarev uh, non shamer shabbos to a minion. 
So the din is that uh, only Mechal Shabbos Beferhesi is dinik in Dachri, and you can't be Mitzvah. But we don't have a Mechal Shabbos Beferhesi in most of our communities. The Munkach uh, uh, writes, he doesn't understand what the, uh, what the Binyan Sian is talking about. The Binyan Sian lived in Germany. So he writes that because there's so many Reformed Jews who don't keep Shabbos, so he can't consider the Mechal Shabbos Beferhesi as really being Beferhesi. He's not breaking this discipline. The Munkach lived in Minkach. So he says, what do you mean? Of course he's breaking the discipline. Yeah, he was right. The Munkach, at the time that he lived there, he was right. But, uh, but in most communities, where well, most of the Jews are not uh, Shamri Shabbos, so the Binyan Sian is right. So the, it was usually assumed like the Binyan Sian, that a Mechal Shabbos Beferesia doesn't really apply. This Dinakakon doesn't apply to Zmanaz. Yeah? One of the Gedolim in Europe came up with a new Einfall, Rabitzala um, Ponevejim. Came up, he was a big Baal Mechadish. He was not for his uh, Shiurim, unusually original uh, Shiurim. And his Piske Halacha were also very uh, original and unusual. So he came up with the following compromise. So you can be Mitzar from Mechal Shabbos to the Minyan for Shachvitz Minchemar, but not for Musaf. What's that? Is because Shachvitz Minchemar, the Gemara says, is Tfilah Rachmin Ninu. You're praying. The main theme of the davening is bakosha. You're asking the Rabbanu to take care of your needs. All week long we ask HaKadosh Baruch to take care of our physical needs. We have sick people, we need people have, uh, have to have a parnasa, all of the tzarachim that Klal Yisrael has. And on Shabbos Yant, we ask HaKadosh Baruch to take care of our spiritual needs. But you always have bakoshas tzarachim in the Shemar Esri, so that's what the Gemara says, that the tefillah is rachamim. We're asking bakoshas tzarachim. But Musaf, Taisus points out in Brachas, and it's quoted lahalacha like that in Shulchan Aruch, Musaf, he can't really say it's rachamim, you know, that's why there's no tashlumet for Musaf. Musaf is really based on the concept of the Novi Neshama Farm Sosainu. That the purpose of davening Musaf is that it's considered as if by davening Musaf we offered the Korban. So Abitzala Ponevesha had this uh, original Hiddish that the Gemara has a Pasik, Zevach Hushayim Tayevo, that the Bezdin is not permitted in the Beis Amigdush, they're not permitted to accept Karbonas from a Balaver. So Abitzala said that uh, since Musaf is not considered a Rachme, it's only for the purpose of offering the Korban. Musaf is considered Bimkoim HaKorban. When it comes to Karbonas, you're not allowed to accept the korban from such a balaver from a person as Mahal Shabbos so since this fellow has no shaykhs with Musaf with korbanus he's not allowed to be mitzarfim to Amin this was his dinah so all of the gdolim respected Rabitzel upon a leisure when, uh, when they wanted to appoint a, a new rabbi in Yerushalayim I think Rab Shmos when, uh, when who was it uh, I think Rabbi Shmuel Salant was an old man and they wanted to appoint a new rabbi so they asked Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik whom, whom would he recommend that's when they took I think the Adaris if I'm not mistaken they took the Adaris to be the rabbi in Yerushalayim he was going to take over when Rabbi Shmuel Salant uh, retires so then what happened was uh, the Adaris died in two years and then Rabbi Shmuel Salant listed on for another 25 or 30 years or something he died at a very old age so the, at that time they were trying to figure out who's going to take over the position when Rabbi Shmuel Salant uh, gets a little older so Rabbi Chaim recommended that they should take um, Rabbi Tzalapanavajah he was the biggest Balmachar she said in Yerushalayim they have enough they have enough Meirah Haroah they used to have Rabbanim in Europe used to retire so they all moved to Yerushalayim so they had a lot of Rabbanim who can pass Meshach Rabbi Chaim felt that what they were missing 
And Yerushalayim was a good Maggid Shir, and it felt for Abitzel Apashat Panavej was a knockout Maggid Shir. So that Kuli Almol Apligid, they all respected Abitzel Apanavej as a, as a Gewaldige Maggid Shir, but as a Moira Hiroa, his opinions were not really accepted. That's why Rab Chaim was very upset about a certain Psak that he gave, and he said, no one should listen to any of the Psak of Abitzel. They should listen to Shurim. He gave good Tulpulim, but they shouldn't follow. And then there are many Gedolim, they were upset about his original Kiddush. So this Kiddush also, Many other Gedolim disagreed with Rabbi Tzalapanavesh and they said that that concept of Zerach Rishayim Ta'evo that the, in the Beis Amigdush were not permitted to accept the carbon that's offered by a, by a Balavera, a serious Balavera, that only applies to a carbon Yochid. Well, the Bala carbon is uh, this individual person. So that, that person is labeled as a Russia. How can you accept the carbon from a Russia? Zerach Rishayim Ta'evo, the carbon that's offered by, on behalf of a Russia is an abomination. We don't accept it. But we're talking over here, Davening Musav is a, talking about a carbon Sibur. What do you mean? The whole Sibur is called a Russia? There's no such thing as Zevach Rishayim Ta'eva and a Korban Sibur. So even the individuals that happen to be Rishayim, you can be Mitzar of them. You may be Mitzar of them to the Minyan because you're talking about a Korban Sibur. That was a debate that they had. And that's a generally accepted opinion. That you can be Mitzar from Mechal Shabbos to the Minyan, not only for Shachas Mincha and but uh, from Musaf as well. I remember one of the rabbis told me uh, that uh, years ago he visited Russia in order to visit different communities. So he spoke to Rav Soloveitchik in advance a long time ago. And uh, he was asking, can he be mitzar these people to a minion if they, if they don't keep Shabbos? So Rav Soloveitchik said, what are you talking about? They're all Shenishba. They don't know. It's all Mechal Shabbos B'Shoigig. So the whole din of Mechal Shabbos B'Fahesi Dina Ka'akam only applies if it's B'Mezid. If it's B'Shoigig, there's nothing to discuss. So years later, after Rav Soloveitchik already passed away, this rabbi is telling me that uh, he performs marriages, he's a Masadic Yiddushan so he tries to get religious witnesses but even sometimes if he can't get a religious witness, he heard from the Rav that if it's uh, if it's Tinek Shanishba, so it's not so bad so I said, what did the Rav tell you? so he said, he can be Mitzarf them to the Minyan when he went to Russia, so I said, a Ganif he can also be Mitzarf to a Minyan but it's a Pasuk and Chumash, that is Pasuk Laedis in order to be knocked out that you can't be Mitzarf a person to a Minyan it has to be Ninika Akum, so that doesn't apply if you have a person who is in violation of Shabbos but it's B'Shoigeg it's a Tinek Shanish but you can't say that it's Dinek Shanish but it doesn't mean that it's Kosha Leidus in order to be Kosha Leidus you have to be on a slightly higher level than just uh, being Jewish that you shouldn't be Dinek Akum I thought his, uh, he was Madama Milsa Lamilsa he took what Rav Soloveitchik told him about Sirif to a minion and he applied it to the situation and making the person uh, Kosha Leidus so the rule in Shulchan Archa is that one is Dinek doesn't count to be Mitzarf to a minion it's like being Mitzarf and non-Jew to the minion but um, if he's not Dinek Nachri so strictly speaking even if he is a Balaver you can be Mitzarf to the minion what about to serve as the Shliach Tzibar that's the fellow, the fellow who, who's Machal Shabbos wants to Daven Farnamit can you permit such a person to Daven Farnamit so strictly speaking the din is that yes if, uh, if he can be mitzarv to the minion, so that means that he's right to serve as a shliach zibur. The din is, there's a Gemara in Erevin, that the chazan has to be part of the minion. If you have ten people in one room and the chazan is in a different room, so he cannot, he cannot be 
the Baal The Chazan has to be in the same room where the minion is because the Chazan has to be one of the ten people of the minion. That's why years ago there used to be Shendal at the Chazan on the radio when I was growing up. He used to have a woman Chazanit. So the Halacha doesn't permit one to shul to have a woman Chazanit. What's wrong? So Kaili should forget about this. A different story. What's wrong with the Chazan? Because the Din says that a woman is not mitztaref to become part of the minion. Even if you have nine men and you have one woman, the woman doesn't count as the tenth one of the minion. So even if you have ten thousand people in the shul, you have many times over a minion, but the woman is not part of that minion. So if the woman is going to serve as the Chazan, she's not part of the minion. So she's davening without the benefit of a minion. So she can't be the Shlech to be one of the ten people. So here, if a, if a mummer who's not been a ka'akum is able to count as one of the people in the minions, so Allah says he can serve as a chazan. The only thing is that the chazan is always referred to in the Mishnah, it says the shliach at And there's a rule in shliach is, the Mishnah says in the first parak in Shumas, when you appoint the shliach as a, you appoint the shliach to serve as your mashgiach, to be mafish shumas and maishas, in a fruits and vegetable store, in Eretzisola, or in a bakery, where they have to be mafish chalo. So the Mishnah says that the shliach has to be ma, ma the shalich has to be appointed by the mishalich, by the bailim, and he has to be merutzah to the bailim. The bailim has to be happy about the fact that he's serving as my shalich. So if you're going to have a person who's a bala and the fact that he's davening for anomad is is offensive to the, you can't by everybody. It's, it's not shaykh. There's always going to be one person who is not happy about the fact that this guy's davening for anomad. Davening too fast, he davening too slow, he pronounces like a, like a Galiziana, like a Hungarian. There's always someone who's not going to be happy. So if it's Marutza, the Rav HaKol is good enough. But if you have Rav HaKol, is unhappy. This guy is a, is a gay fellow. What do you mean? He's going to Dabafar Noma just because he has the art side. I don't want to have him Dabafar. I don't want to have him serve as Mashalat Sibis, Machal Shabbos. He just drove up and he wants to Dabafar Noma. So the one who's davening for Anomen is considered the shliach of the whole kohol. So the shliach has to be merutzah. You can't be merutzah to everybody. You have to be merutzah to the roiv of the kohol. And even it says in Shulchan Aruch even if the fellow is a chiv, he's an oval, or he has yartzai today, a higher chiv than an oval, still just because his father died doesn't mean that I have to suffer. If I'm not happy about the way he davens, he's not allowed to daven for Anomen. Chiv doesn't help. You have to be merutzah the kohol. This din of Marutzah doesn't only apply if the fellow is a balavera. Let's say he's a wonderful tzaddik, but he dams too slowly. Or, uh, or he dams too quickly, or dams with a different havara. So it's also not considered Marutzah Lakal. I was told, I don't know, we should check it out to find out. I was told that uh, Ramosha Feinstein would rarely daven someone should check it out would really daven for Anomad when he heard the art side because he felt that he wouldn't be Merutza Lekol he thought that the Olam wouldn't enjoy the way he davened because he had a real litvus pronunciation and the Bochum and Yeshiva didn't pronounce uh, Israel like that. that that's what I was told you should check it out uh, the same is true Alpi Pashtus uh, let's say to give a person an aliyah so when the person says Baruch Hashem Hamveirach so that's like a chazan says Baruch Hashem Hamveirach before Meirev or before uh, Shachris before Birchus Kriyashma so when the Oil of Torah says Baruch he's serving at that time as a, as a Shliach HaTzibah could even be as a Shliach HaTzibah for the Baruch before and after Asher Nasanlan Asher Baruch also but at least for the Baruch he's a Shliach HaTzibah so to serve as the Shliach HaTzibah certainly has to be Merutza Leroy Vakol if it's not Merutza you can't give him an Aliyah there's nothing to discuss the same thing applies for a different reason with respect to Duchani let's say you have a Kayin <coughs> He's a Mechal Shabbos or whatever, or he's gay. And uh, so the people in the shul don't know anything about it, so whatever they don't know won't hurt them. The Allah says that a Kayin is not permitted to Duchin 
uh, if he's over Abed Zara or if he murdered somebody. But for any other Abeir, if he's Machal Shabbos and eats Trefus, but whatever other Abeir is the Koyin violates, do not passel him with respect to Duchrik. But nonetheless, it's social. We, sh- we should really, like the Ramam writes, just because he does one Abeir, so we should tell him not to do a mitzvah, he shouldn't do it. To other Rabbi, tell him he should do it. He does so many Abeir, so let him do a mitzvah. But what happens if the fellow who's Duchening is not, the Kohal is not interested in hearing his bracha? They don't appreciate it. They would rather not hear his bracha. They don't like him. Personally, they can't stand him. He's a Balmachloikis. I used to daven in the shul where everybody in the shul was from Frankfurt and the Kohen was from Hamburg or something. And they didn't like, I don't know exactly what's the difference between Hamburg and Frankfurt. To me, it's all, it's all Chinese anyway. So they didn't like him, so they told me he's not allowed to duchen. The Morgan Avram quotes from the Zohar that if the Kohen can't stand the Tzibur, or the Tzibur can't stand the Kohen, so he's not allowed to duchen, because in the Nusach HaBroch, say, you have to love the Tzibur, and you have to appreciate the fact that you're giving them a bracha, and they have to appreciate the fact that you're giving them the bracha. And if they would rather not hear from you your bracha, so it's better that you shouldn't do So if the tzibah does know about the fact that this fellow is doing these other errors, so he's allowed to do it, but the tzibah is aware of it, and they would prefer that he shouldn't do it. So then the commentaries on the shulchan are quote that it's more correct is that he should not do it. <coughs> Some shuls have adopted as a as a policy means a local minig. There's no such thing like this. That uh, some shuls have a minig that on Shabbos when you have to have seven aliyot, but you're permitted to make oisofis. So many shuls that make oisofis. So the uh, at least seven. Let's say this Shabbos we're going to give ten aliyot. So some shuls have a minig that at least seven of the aliyot should be given to Shemir Shabbos. Other shuls they insist the first seven aliyot should be given to Shemir Shabbos. As a matter of policy, it's not really. It didn't, but it's an interesting policy. I was rabbi uh, for a short period of time in a little uh, shul in New Jersey. So when our shul, the Balabatim, decided to have to adopt as a policy the shul where I was a rabbi was at that time a branch of Roy's community. So they decided to adopt as a policy that the first seven aliyahs should only be given to Shemesh Shabbos. So it was an Iranian Jew who used to come on Shabbos and his store was open on Shabbos. He sold Persian rugs. So uh, he used to come to shul almost every week. He was saying Berachas Hagoyim because he had a holdup in the shul and they had a revolver and they almost killed him. So he always had to come to shul to say I don't know if he drove to shul. So he used to come to say Berachas Hagoyim. So they would never give him any of the first seven aliyahs. So after a couple of weeks, he realized that how come he never gets an earlier aliyah? So he asked one of the balabatim. So they told him respectfully that uh, they reserved the first seven aliyahs. They always made hoisafes. They always made hoisafes every week. So they told him respectfully that that's the policy. They only give the first seven aliyahs to the Shemesh Shabbos. So he decided to close the store on Shabbos. Because he wanted to get one of the first seven aliyahs. Oh. That convinced him how important. He didn't understand how important Shabbos was. So that policy convinced him that, uh, that he should close the store on Shabbos. And then when his relatives came, I think they also had sold Persian rugs. So when his relatives came to visit him for Yontif, and they would get aliyahs, he would get, uh, he would get from one of the five aliyahs, because he closed the store on Shabbos and Yontif, and the relatives would get Hagman Galila, Psicha, something else. They would never get any of the aliyahs. And he understood, and he was not offended. He was not offended. It's in a certain sense like the Sri H tells a story. There was a big machlaikas going on in America years ago in the 1950s, I think. Uh, is a rabbi permitted to be Masada Kiddushin for a couple if he knows in advance that they're not going to observe Taras HaMishpacha? Is that a violation? Or Lifneiva, let's see to Mirsha. What Lifneiva? They're going to live together anyway. They don't 
money. They're living together now. They don't need the benefit of their rabbi. Rabbi is not enabling them to do the Avera. They can do the Avera without the rabbi. So that was the whole pilpal. Is it a violation of Lifni Ivar or not? So all the rabbis in America were writing in Hapardis, all the Torah journals, is it permissible or not? So the Rabbi Weinberg lived at that time in Switzerland, the author of the Swedish. So he sent in his letter to the uh, Hapardis, and it was later reprinted in his collection of Shalashivas, the Swedish. So he writes, Forget about what the halacha is. He says his personal policy was he wouldn't be Masada Kiddushin for a couple who didn't want to observe Taras HaMishpacha. So he says on one occasion he used to give lectures in the university, I think if there's a university in Montreux, that's where he lived. It was some university nearby. So he used to give lectures on Jewish philosophy. So uh, every so often some students would request of him that he should be Masada Kiddushin. So once a couple came to him that he got engaged, he wished him Mazel Tov, and they'd like him to be Masada Kiddushin. So he spoke to them nicely and he asked them whether they planned to observe Taras HaMishpacha so they said no they're not religious but they liked his lecture so much and he represented Judaism so in such a beautiful fashion they would like him to be Masada so he told them nicely he gives them all his good wishes and his blessings everything should be but he has a personal policy he's not Masada Kiddush and if the couple is not going to observe Taras HaMishpacha so he shook their hands and they went away he said they came back a month later they decided they wanted Observe Taras Hamishpacha in order to have him be Masada Kiddush. It's like this Balabas. He closed the store on Shabbos and Yanta because he heard that's what explained to him how important Shabbos was. He didn't understand otherwise. So that's that's what showed this young couple how important Taras Hamishpacha was. They thought it was something not so important. But when they heard that Rabbi Weinberg gave lectures on philosophy, such a brilliant uh, speaker, such a brilliant professor gave lectures on philosophy, and he's not going to be Masada Kiddush because they're not going to observe Taras Hamishpacha. So that's why uh, they decided to adopt that maybe the other mitzvahs they didn't keep but at least that mitzvah they did keep so if it's done in a in a reasonable fashion in a good fashion it's not uh, it's not such a terrible meeting it's a nice practice to adopt the policy if it's if it's meaningful if you think in your particular show it'll be meaningful to adopt such a policy perhaps not to give the first seven aliyahs uh, to Michal Shabbos or perhaps at least to have seven aliyahs out of the out of the whole group of aliyahs uh, should be given dafkit to, uh, to Shammai Shabbos. Uh, Moshe Feinstein raises an issue in his Sefer. There is a um, there is a Gemara in Masechah Soto where the Gemara talks about the serious Aver of Hanifa Lerushoi. If you pat a Russia on the back, a fellow is in, uh, violating Shabbos and doesn't keep kasha, doesn't keep the mitzvahs in the Torah. But he gives major donations to the yeshiva, and we make him the guest of honor. There was such a scandalous story uh, years ago, there was a yeshiva in the Midwest, where there was a man who was the main supporter of the yeshiva, probably the only supporter of the yeshiva, uh, who was married to a non-Jewish woman. So they had their annual dinner, and uh, the husband was being honored because he was giving some large sum of money, so his wife, the non-Jewish woman, came to the function, the honoring her husband. And then as they were calling out all the pledges, so the wife raised her hand, she says, in honor of her husband, in honor of her husband's religion, she's giving, whatever, $25,000 from her personal money. That's Ashanda, how can you be mechab in a man who's intermarried? The yeshiva's honoring him as the honorable, the guest of honor at the annual dinner. 
So you t- you're patting the guy in the back and you're telling him, all the Averis you do don't count, you're at Sadiq, you're going to go straight to Ganeid because you support the Yeshiva. That's really Lishneiba Lasita Michshel. That's what the Gemara considers Chanifa Lerishoim. If you pat the Rosh on the back and you tell him everything you're doing is fine, wonderful, just keep on giving money to the Yeshiva and you're going to go straight to Ganeid. What do you mean? He's not going to go to Ganeid because he's giving money to the Yeshiva. What about all the Averis that he does? So the Gemara considers this a serious other. So Ramashah Feinstein has a Truva. He, he discusses the possibility of not being allowed to give any aliyah, even hagben glila, psicha, to a balavera, because you're giving the man a kibbutz, so you're showing that uh, you're not allowed to be mechabed v'shoim. You're not allowed to make him the guest of honor in the yeshiva. So, uh, guest of honor in the yeshiva, that none of the yeshivas observe that. You're not allowed to give a person hagben glila, psicha, and I don't think any of the shuls observe it. Everybody does that. So, we usually assume that uh, it's, it's not considered... We usually assume it's not really a lifneva in this case. He, the person came to shul, self call self. So he is participating a little bit. So give him some slight kibbutz. We don't want to give him an aliyah, but we give him hagbagli, we give him psicha. So usually, um, this is not um, this is not the common practice like Rabbi Moshe. Moshe is a big chumer. There is an interesting tshuva in the Hasam Sefer where he was asked. Uh, apparently a minig developed he lived in the early 1800s he was the son-in-law of Rabbi Kivega so he writes that there was a, a, a minig that was started during his time that in the shul with the davening you can't allow someone to be the shliach tzibah to daven for uh, if he's wearing silk clothing What's the connection? Something based on a Kabbalistic source, whatever. So the Sam Seifer says, Hagwash, there is no such source. Uh, Baba Meiser, and the person should stop studying, studying Zoya, doesn't understand what he's reading, doesn't understand what he's talking about. There is no such minig. And he said, You have no right to make a minig if you don't know how to learn. To initiate a new minig, you have to be a big Tamachachim Zokta like my Rebbe. My Rebbe was Rav Nassan Adler. There was a Rav Nassan Adler, the chief rabbi of Great Britain, that was somebody else, that was the early 1900s. This Rav Nassan Adler, the early 1800s. So his Rebbe was a great guy, and he knew how to formulate Menhagim. So he gives you one of the Menhagim that his Rebbe started. Rav Nas Nadler was known as a big uh, medactic and everything, it was a big machmer and everything. So he, all over, most Jews are not machmen achodesh b'chutz lords. The new tvuah that grows, the new wheat and barley that grows, that's planted after Pesach, so you're not allowed to eat it till it comes next Chalamayt Pesach. You have to wait till next Chalamayt Pesach. So right now, there is no achodesh in existence. It was just Chalamayt Pesach, so everything in the world is kosher la mahadrin ben There is no achodesh. But uh, it's going to come uh, Sukkot time, there'll be a lot of achodesh around. So the Shiloh was, so in Europe, the meaning was that everybody relied on the different opinions local. The different opinions in Shulchan Aruch and the Rishonim that uh, there's room to be making Lachan Hashem. Nas Nadla had a minig that on Chalamoit Sukkot, when you're laying the Kriya Satayra about Chodosh, so you shouldn't give the Aliyah to a person who violates the Din of Chodosh. Even though he has a heter, the Chodosh B'chutzlot, Baratzis, Arachaykis, whatever, B'Shalakim, Godel B'Shalakim, whatever the heter is. But he said, basically, he's in violation of the Din of Chodosh. We all do. Most people believe Chodosh. So he introduced the new minig. You should only give the Aliyah to a person who observes that Din. So the basis of this minig makes sense by us. Let's say you're going to give an aliyah that talks about kashrus to a person 
who doesn't keep kosher. Are you going to give the aliyah about Shabbos to a person who doesn't keep Shabbos? Are you going to give uh, the aliyah of Arayas to a person who, who's running around with someone else's wife? So what are you making a farce of the Torah? He's saying a bracha and he's getting the aliyah about, uh, about Arayas and it's Yudu in the neighborhood or he's a, a crook in business. Are you going to give him the aliyah about Hain Tzedek, Vavnei Tzedek, Moiznei Tzedek? It's a Yudu that he cheats in business. How can he give him that aliyah? He, he lives at that posseh. So he started a minig on top of that. But not only shouldn't he give the person an aliyah on a parsha that he doesn't observe, he shouldn't even give him an chodash, even though he relies on the mekilim. That's already a fancy minig. He should only give that aliyah to one who's medaktek all the way on chodash. But the basic, the basic idea that he said really makes a lot of sense. How can you give an aliyah to a person if that aliyah speaks about dinim that, he, that he's not uh, observing? We have a problem in all the orthodox shuls if you want to maintain the orthodox character of the shul so how can you allow anyone any Tom, Dick and Harry to become a member of the shul uh, someone may decide to make the shul uh, conservative so they'll have uh, 150 people join uh, membership of the shul they'll vote in a new rabbi they'll put in their president they'll change the whole charter of the shul they'll, they'll, they'll see to it that they'll change the whole nature of the shul it won't be orthodox anymore so you really should put into the bylaws of the shul that uh, maybe you should have two kinds of membership a member who can vote, a member who can vote and maybe only one kind of membership, whatever but you can't accept as a member who has the right to vote a person who's not going to be orthodox so exactly how do you, what do you mean not orthodox? I mean, I know people who talk Lashonara some of you know also people who talk Lashonara so uh, whoever talks Lashonara is not orthodox there are some people who even cheat on income tax so it's also not there so, 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 anyone who does any of there is not orthodox it's not religious so you won't have any members in the shul period there won't be, there won't be anybody in the shul so you can't you can't shtelzachan everything if the fellow is a crook and he cheats in business so, so we know what his mentality is that there's a chetzil Hashem a chetzil Hashem uh, the ben adam l'chavero he doesn't observe ben adam l'chavero he does observe so okay as long as he observes the ben adam l'chavero he's not going to be interested in changing the nature of the shul he's strictly orthodox he's very very super so ultra orthodox ben adam l'chavero ben adam he's not observant so Maybe it's not so. The COVID dick to have this gangster as a member of the shul, but we're not concerned about him. He's not going to be interested in changing the nature of the shul. But you can't put into the bylaws of the shul that we don't accept members who are in violation of Beirat Mahmokims. <laughs> as if the Beirat Mahaveras don't count. So, how, how do you put it in the bylaws of the shul? So, there are some shuls where they have in the bylaws, they have some basic uh, statements. To say that you can't accept as a member anyone who's not strictly Sabbath observant. That's hard to put in. A lot of people become members of the Shul, they're not Shem Shabbos, and then in the course of time, they'll listen to the rabbi's drushes, and they'll become Shem Shabbos. They'll, 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 uh, they'll associate with all the other people in the Shul, they'll become Shem Shabbos. It makes sense to have in the bylaws of the Shul that you can't allow people to become officers of the Shul, or you can't have members of the board who are not Shem Shabbos. Okay, that makes sense to have, because the members of the Shul, the members of the board are really going to balabatava, the officers are really going to balabatava on the Shul. So that's Kedite to have in the bylaws only one is a Shem Shabbos you have to say every single uh, detail but if he's Shem Shabbos Muslim is going to observe Kashrus and, tar- and possibly Tarsam Shabbos as well okay so, uh, so you'll have an orthodox person so to say that whoever is not the Shem Shabbos doesn't have the right to become a voting member that's uh, not really so reasonable so some shows they write we don't accept we won't accept as members uh, one who's married the Isser means one is married to a non-Jewish spouse 
or a coin is married to a grusha, or Yisrael is married to a mamzeris, or whatever. So that'll at least uh, cut out uh, a group of people who are obviously and publicly in violation of the laws of the Torah. You can't put into the bylaws everything, it'll be up a little on uh, our But it really is Kedai to have uh, such a clause in the bylaws, that uh, these type of clauses, that one who's not Shammah uh, Shabbos is not permitted to serve as a member of the board or as an officer. And, and you have to have something about the members who have the right to vote, you have to have some kind of a statement that uh, you can only accept as uh, members people who live up to some standard of orthodoxy. You can't expect every, every detail of orthodoxy, but you want to protect your show from, from losing its orthodox character. Uh, we have in recent years a big issue of uh, people who enjoy uh, putting their wives through agony. They refuse to give a get to their wives. So in many shuls, uh, they will refuse to, we all have an obligation to see to it that the wife uh, gets a get. There's no reason, if they're not living together, there's no reason the husband should, uh, should torture his wife. So uh, many of these people are strictly, consider themselves strictly orthodox. They're not. If he's torturing his wife, he's obviously not orthodox. But he doesn't understand that. Uh, so uh, many shuls they'll accept as a policy they will not allow such a person to they won't allow such a person to get an aliyah that's wonderful if that will place pressure on him to force him to give his wife a get matov in uh, some shuls they'll even adopt the policy that they'll stop davening they won't allow the person to daven in the shul and if he'll walk into the shul they'll stop davening so this uh, look you have to make such a takana all takanas with respect to mitzvahs have to be cleared with the local orthodox rabbi so if the shul wants to make a takana like that, if the board wants to make such takana, that would be wonderful. And the rabbi should decide. Not everyone, not every woman who claims that her husband is ma'agin her is telling the truth. And not in every case is it the fault of the husband. So they have to have a rabbi who will be able to research it by uh, by finding out what's going on. To determine whether the husband is really being ma'agin his wife in such a fashion that it's really improper or not. So to adopt such a policy would be fine. Uh, these are some of the issues that come up uh, with respect to dealing with the non-observant Jews. No, we pray to the Rabbani Shalom that uh, the situation should improve, that uh, we should reach the day that all of the Yisrael should see the light, and uh, we should all be Shami Mitzvahs, and we shouldn't have to work on these, uh, on these uh, uncomfortable shilas. Thank you very much.